Thank you, praise team. Appreciate that. Uh, it's good to be uh, singing praise to the Lord and be focused on Him. Uh, this morning, I'd ask that you turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to continue in our study of in the book of Colossians. I'd ask that you would stand in honor of God's Word. Starting at verse 15, I'd like to read to the end of the chapter. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in, in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery of hidden ages, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. God, we ask that you would honor your word in your church today, that you would cause us to think deeply about Christ. And may we find him to be the true Jesus, not one that we have made up, not one that we have created but that which he truly is. God bless your church today. May your Holy Spirit be our teacher now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Many years years ago, I was at uh, the middle school here in town, and I I saw a kid, uh, 7th, 8th grade kid, a, a young boy. He was thinking he was pretty cool, and he, he had a particular hat on that said, Jesus is my homeboy. 
And uh, I, I, I saw that hat, and I was speaking to one, uh, I think I was speaking to the principal at that time, and I said, who's that kid over there? And he goes, oh, what a pain. What a pain. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, he, he's a mocker. He, he, put, he, puts a, he likes to wear that hat, but he's a little demon that runs around our school. You know, every school's got 10 or 15 of them. And he's one of the ones that makes it hard to be a principal. And I thought, that's interesting. And I, I remember seeing that and going, I, I'd never seen that phrase before, Jesus is my homeboy. I know I, I'm not, you know, I, I kind of grew up in the hood myself, <laughs> you know, on the wrong side of the freeway in Santa Barbara. Uh, <laughs> But I, I knew that that was kind of, and so I looked it up online, and it's kind of this uh, uh, culture type thing where it started in the uh, in the inner city with uh, some different instances that happened there, and then they uh, online I could see a bunch of celebrities, all of which whose lives um, did not honor Christ or see him as someone that, they, but it, they were mockers. They were people whose lives, whose lives. Uh, shook the angry fist in the face of Christ saying, I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what I want to do. I think about uh, other people that within the church even that have, have talked to me and they've said, you know, I, I, I have a relationship with Christ and Jesus is kind of like my buddy, my buddy, that we just kind of hang out together and it's just good to know that Jesus is my buddy. And, and I think of that, and that's very true. We do believe in a relationship with Christ here at Bear Valley Church, that we, we don't see him as someone who is far away and distant. But when I think of who Christ is, and even in my own heart, what I think him to be, and then I read a passage that uh, we're going to preach through this morning, it, it, it's a struggle for me. Because Jesus isn't somebody that we just put a name on a t-shirt or on a hat. We joke about him being our homeboy or a buddy, and then we go off and do whatever we want. Jesus is far different than that. And there's a sense in which uh, I have small kids, and when they go to school, I was at, with my daughter this week at her school, um, and they do coloring, you know. I don't know how that's school, but anyways, uh, they put a piece of paper there and it says, and the teacher said, well, draw yourself in a place you want to be, a nice place. And so my, my daughter, to the best of her ability, drew what she saw as a beautiful place and what she saw herself as. And that's great for creativity, but it's not a good method when we're talking about Jesus to just draw him however you want him to be the best of your ability and then say worship that worship that this morning we're going to look at colossians chapter one and paul has has shared a prayer uh things that he is praying for and as he thinks of this church that he loves so much because of the gospel in them he 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 shares with them what he prays for and now he turns to christ he turns to christ and, and there's a sense in which for a church, we can never get far away from Jesus or we cease being the church. 
There, there's a sense that we can pray for events in one another's lives. We can, we can talk about how we can live better lives. But it is never disconnected from who Jesus is, who Jesus is. And this morning, we're going to hear loud and clear who Jesus is. I think about the problems in my own life and in the lives of others that I get to talk with and counsel with. And it really boils down to what we think about Jesus, the place he has in our lives, the effect that he has on our daily living. So we're starting a series. I think it'll go two to three weeks, a series within a series, a long message that can't be handled one morning. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? And really, that's what people are asking out there. And it's really something we should ask in here to make sure that we have the Jesus of the Bible, the historic Jesus, the one he really was. He really was. We start off looking at uh, verse 15. 15. And this morning I have seven points, and I realize that sounds like a long time, and it might be. Just being honest. Pastor lies isn't a good one, right? This morning, uh, the first point I have for you, that Jesus is God you can see. God you can see or could see. I want to say that. Um, Not that, I won't get into that, but he walked the face of the earth. If we were at the time of Christ and we could have been, we're going to celebrate his birth, we could have been there. What an amazing thing. We could have walked in those crowds. We could have seen those miracles. And Jesus came so that uh, for us, Jesus is the God that we can see, the God that we can see. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. If you brought your Bibles, just keep them open because... um, I've shared this with some of you that just keep them open and keep looking down. Make sure that I'm talking about something that's important, okay? Check the answers, okay? Check your answers in the book, okay? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When I think of the word image, uh, we use that in many different ways, right? Uh, someone's personal image of themselves or you you put... Uh, uh, image into wet cement and and, and you, different things that we think through of image and when it says image some of a, the the skeptic inside of us goes so he's not really god right he's not really he's just an image of god it's kind of a, a veiled reference that he's not the real thing could even do that with the next point uh the next part that i'm going to talk about But as it is written, it is not the idea that it is an image lesser than, nor an image that isn't the exact representation of the one spoken of. He is the image, the image. When you see an image of, uh, if you saw a shadow and you saw the shadow and you say, what is that right there? Oh, that's the shadow. That's the shadow of the plant. So what does the plant look like? You can see the shape, right? You can see the shape. It's the image. It's the image. It's not an image that is different than. It's the same as. The same as. And that's the point here. Uh, this word is used in different ways uh, in the scripture. Uh, you think through Genesis chapter 1 where uh, 
you get the creation account and what does it say? We are made in his image and likeness. Let us make man in our image and likeness. Do you get that? That's the idea that what are we to look like? What is the plan? Is that we are like God, like God, bold caps, like, okay? We are not God, but we are made to be like God. We are made to in his image, in his image. Other places you can think through it. Uh, we're going to get there, and it's not going to be soon. But in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, you can turn over there if you have your Bibles open. If you don't, shame all over you. It talks about our own sanctification process and what God is doing in us. And it says uh, in verse 10, he's talking actually about lying. You look back to uh, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator, right? Once again, the word image. It's the image. It's that we are supposed to, that is the idea of our salvation is that we are to be like him, be like him. Uh, And in what way are we to be like him? As best we can do, just kind of in some ways? No, exactly like him, exactly like him. Not that we are there, but he is not talking about uh, just do your best. And if it's kind of a fuzzy picture, that's fine. Uh, we sing a few songs about the holiness of God here this morning. And the idea is that we, because of his holiness, we are also called to holiness. And so the image is the idea that it would be exactly like him. Exactly like him. In John one eighteen, John one eighteen, one important one to think through as as you think about this concept of image and really the, the revelation of, of what God looks like in Christ, in Christ. John 1.18, it says that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen God. And so there's a, a picture, it's like the idea that you can't see Him. You can't see Him. And if you look back to John chapter 1 and you'd study that out, what's it talking about? It's talking about the same thing we're talking about this morning. That because Christ came to this earth, We can see God, not the Father, but the Son. And how can we see God? Because they are the same. Because you see the image of Christ. You see the image of Christ. The original image is to be found in the person of Jesus Christ. You need to know that. You need to know that. Sometimes we think of God as being far off. If you believe that God is far off and you don't know him, Study Christ. Study Christ. Because Colossians chapter 1 tells us that he is the image. He is the image of the invisible God. When I read that, uh, the idea of the image of the invisible God, I, I think about the visible becoming, the, the invisible becoming visible for us to be able to see him. And it really solves the problem of man that Jesus came, not just in salvation, but in revealing who he is. You think about the Old Testament and what that must have been like to been 
one of God's people and not have the scripture, not have the, the, the Bible in your hand, not to be able to be studied. And you'd be looking and you'd be thinking and you'd be hearing stories about Christ passed down. And, and you go, I, it's hard to grasp who he is. Never seen him. I've seen his miracles, but I've never seen him. And when Jesus comes, he is, he is one in the flesh that they can see what God is like. I have a great book. I, I stumbled upon it as I was unpacking my books. It's called The Great Physician. The Great Physician. And it's by G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, you should all go run out and get a copy. They're probably out of print, but the internet, you can find anything. But what it is, it's an interesting book, and it has four or five page chapters talking about how Jesus dealt with people. And you say, well, why is that important to study? Because as you see Jesus dealing with people, you find the heart of God. You know how God feels about people as you see Jesus deal with them. And how he dealt with them is such a unique book because he dealt with each person differently. To some, it seemed like he was harsh. And others, we in our humanness want to say, bring down the hammer. And he doesn't. And so we see the heart of God revealed in the person of Christ. The invisible God becomes visible as we study Christ. It also says, as it talks about the God we can see in verse 15, it says, the firstborn of all creation. Some would say that this is pointing to really his humanity and the fact that he was born, maybe a Christmas message that that he was the firstborn of God. And yet that's hard to really sort out, right? Because there's other places where it talks of us being his child, being born into his family. And if that's the case, and if uh, what happened that Christ really didn't, wasn't the first one, was he? That as you look at the course of history, there are other people that were in the family of God prior to Christ. And as you consider what does this mean, the firstborn? You've got to ask the question, what is the purpose of the writers? How is this word firstborn being used? I realize that this may be more theological than most of us want to be, but it's super important. In Psalm 89, verse 27, I want to read to you this. It says this, And I will appoint to, to be my... Excuse me. I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of kings over the earth. Let me read that again. And I will appoint him to be be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. Not just that this is talking about Christ, but I think it's interesting, the, the appointment of the firstborn. The appointment of the firstborn. And it draws me to think about, do you appoint your firstborn or are they just firstborn? You know, it's pretty simple. My, my son Caleb always likes to talk about, you know, the inheritance going down to the firstborn. He's not here right now. I can talk about him. But joke's on him. There ain't much to pass down, you know. <laughs> firstborn. But you look throughout Scripture, and, and it is not a, a foregone conclusion that just because one is the firstborn, that they get that position of firstborn. 
Example being in the book of Genesis. You know that story where Joseph was really, he wasn't the firstborn. And, and you look through that story and you see the birthright being handed out and really the blessing of the firstborn being given. A father lays on his bed and he's about to die and you think through the, the lineage and you think through all the bad brothers that Joseph had and you're sure that it's going to go to Joseph. But look back at it. Who does it go to? Judah. That's interesting, isn't it? The firstborn wasn't the firstborn there. And as you look at this passage and what, what Paul is communicating through the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is the one. He is the, the one that is, is God's perfect image, the one that you can see, not like the rest. The firstborn of all creation. Secondly, uh, we had God you could see, Jesus is creator inventor of all creator inventor of all i threw the word inventor over that and hopefully i'll explain to you why i said that if you look down at verse 16 it says this for by him all things were created in heaven on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him what does that tell us about jesus He's a creator. He's a creator. I, we kind of struggle. Those of us who have been raised in the church, we struggle with that because we, we think about that whole being born, uh, Christmas time message, you know, and we say, well, how could Jesus have created us? That just seems like the Father's job, you know, because the Father, you don't see the Father in any place down here on this earth. Jesus comes on the scene But what does this passage tell us? Jesus is the creator, the creator. I I would even speculate the primary creator. I don't know if that's uh, worthy of discussion. Probably not. But if you look back in Genesis, I already mentioned in chapter 1, it says, let us make man. Let us make man. Who's the us? You know, you have to speculate, right? Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what I would speculate. And yet in this passage, it causes us to reflect that Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the creator. That has some very important implications to your life and to mine. Let's see what he created, first of all. Let Let me dwell on that for a few moments. Verse 16 again. For by him all things were created. What was, what did Jesus create? All things, all things. Uh, some of you uh, English teachers and, you know, creative writing and stuff like that. When, you, when you're writing a sentence, a good sentence, and you say things, stuff, and, and the English teachers are like, oh, you need to be more specific and use different words and stuff. I, I think it's interesting that uh, Paul, through the inspiration of God, he wants everyone to know to everybody, right? It's all things. It's very vague and inclusive at the same time. We look at this. For by him, all things were created. And then it goes into detail. In heaven and on earth. Okay? You got to catalog these things, right? 
So in heaven, you're like, wow, Bear Valley's a great place, isn't it? Tatchby's a great place to look at stars, right? At night, uh, my daughter has only lived in a, a city her whole life, right? Close to a big city. And so the other night we were walking around, and she goes, wow, wow. Good things to come, right? Wow. So all the heavens, all that's up there that you can see, you see Jesus created, Jesus created. Oh, and now look to your feet. Now look to the side. Heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Hmm. So sometimes we limit it. Well, I haven't seen it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know, a biology teacher should be the biggest b- believer in the face of this earth, right? Because they have microscopes. And they see things that we don't see, right? Because they look through the microscopes and they see these little, you know, <laughs> floating around, right? Who created? Who created? With detail. Jesus created all the things, of the earth. Everything up there and everything down here, Right? Everything visible, everything invisible, those things we can see, those things we can't see. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Talking about world powers and the forces that are out there. They're talking about angelic beings and those who, who control things that we can't see. He says, Jesus was over all. He created all. He created all. He was the inventor of all. Once again, all things were created through him. All things were created through him. When you create something, uh, it's important for everyone to know that you created it, right? Uh, Painting, I know some painters, and down at the bottom, they put their little mark, signature. You can barely read it. And and that, that shows that that is theirs. And so you could talk to a painter and you could say, why did you put this one particular, oh, the reason I put that, because I believe that that was the accurate, and you, they could talk about that. They could talk about that painting because they were, it came from their minds onto the, onto the canvas. You think about uh, your car, your car that you love so much. And you think about when it's not working and the mechanic doesn't know what to do, what do you do? Most of you are thinking, get another one. We need to call the manufacturer. We need to call the manufacturer. Why? They were the ones who built it. They were the ones who who designed it. They know that car best. And when I think of him being our creator, inventor, he knows about me. He knows about... And and it's interesting. I, I always go to me, right? Where's me in that passage? Look for it. It doesn't say anything about me. In fact, the best I can get is a little sliver of the earth, right? Not even a little sliver, right? A dot. Get the microscope out again, right? I'm just one of his creation. You know, we're so self-focused and we're so, uh, you know, the, the world is bad because I am bad today, you know. Oh, everything's going wrong. No, not everything's going wrong, just your life. 
And, and how how can you say everything is wrong just because things in your life are wrong? Isn't that kind of weird? That's why most of us don't like to be in, in large groups in the city or stuck in traffic. There's other reasons to be stuck in traffic, but you're, you're stuck there and you feel so insignificant. It's the reality. You are. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. And as I read through this myself, I go, it just gives me perspective. You know, I'm, not, I'm not this big timer I think I am. He's our creator, inventor, and overall, overall things. My third point is Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the focus. If you read too quickly, if you're too good of a reader, sometimes Bible study is hard for you because you read too fast. You read too fast. Look at what it says, verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and what? And for him and for him. That's a very, very important point, isn't it? How come this area is so beautiful? Why? What's the purpose of this area being beautiful? It's for him. For him. What's the purpose of the, the, the beauty of this? It's for him. What, what's the, the powers and dominions that are going? What, why were they created? For him. And what about you? What's the focus of your life? It's for him. It's for him. You were created for him. Think about that. You were created for him. Sometimes I get depressed and I struggle and I, 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 I get frustrated with the way my life turns out and things I try to do. And I'm like, oh, it's just not going my way. It's not supposed to go your way. You were created for him. That's a message in itself. I, if I was a really good expositor, I would have stopped last week right before that. And this week would have been for him. He is the focus. Jesus is the focus of all creation. That we and all that we are is for Him. I, I want you to, I, I want you to think through the people around you, not the ones maybe that are sitting with you right now. But it's a whole lot easier to be for Him when you're with others that are for Him. And you know what's kind of bad on the other side too. If you're around people that are for themselves, you tend to think that you should be for yourself as well. And, and it, it's like a disease. It's like a bad cold in a kindergarten class, right? It's just going everywhere for him. We are meant for him. And if you're frustrated and life isn't going right for you right now, maybe it's because you're trying to live your life for you or something else. Your life was for him. Just a couple of words, and it was a pretty long point, wasn't it? Verse 17. And he is before all things. He is before all things. It's important for us to think through as we think about who Jesus was. Sometimes we look at history 
and we think about Jesus coming just at the time where he was born. We're going to celebrate that in a month and a half, and we will celebrate it. But Jesus has a pre-existence as well. He is eternal, not just for the future, but in the past as well. He's before all things. It, it's, there's nothing that can... People talk about this in history and they say, well, Christianity isn't really... Um, it, it has a fairly recent history because Jesus wasn't there. And it, you read the Bible and you go, no, he, he, he's pre-existent. Before anything was, there wasn't any history. <laughs> he was. Speaks of him throughout the Old Testament. Not that he was someone that was going to come and kind of come later, but that he existed, though we did not see. He's preexistent. He's eternal in the past as well as the future. In 17 again, uh, verse 17 in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. I've heard people talk about this in terms of a molecule and why that, that holds together. And I believe there's truth to that. That it, What does it say here? What, read, read it again. I closed my Bible so that we can read out of yours right now. What does it say? In him all things hold together. And you think about that and you think, Man, our world's a terrible place. I don't see how things are hanging out here. You know, we live in California, for crying out loud. We're, you know, maybe we are going to do that, that earthquake thing where we drop into the sea. I don't know. Why does things hold together? Why hasn't this world, though it seems out of control, really never been pushed over the Because of Him. He is the glue that's holding all things together. He is the one. My sixth point. Jesus is the glue is five. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church. I was talking to Rebecca this morning, uh, thinking about my message and uh, really... uh, this is one of those messages that's a real church growth message. Um, unfortunately, it might be for some other church to grow. Because when you look at this next verse, it, it, it confronts the, the very core of who we are. Whose church is this anyways? It's easy to get the right answer in church, isn't it? But what does it say? What does it say? And he is the head of the body, the church. Whose church is this? When you think, who's in charge at the church? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever asked that question? Whose church is it? Oh, it's Kevin's church. Oh, yes, it will be. There's going to be some big changes around here once I get voted in. It's because it's my church. Think about that. Think about that. Whose church is it? Who should get their way in the church? It says that he is the head of the body. You know what's funny about uh, the head of our body? 
once you lose your head, not much happens after that. Right? Once you lose your head, there's nothing going on. And your head, you know, you, you hear about, uh, you, you study the body and how amazing it is. And we know this, even the idea of some uh, things that go wrong in the body when the hand doesn't do the right thing or the foot doesn't or there's pain and all that comes from the head. And guess what? God knew that. You know why? Invented creator, right? Jesus knew about these things. And so when Jesus took the position of head of the church, he wasn't going, it just seemed like the good place to be. He knew that the church would need him at the head to be the one in charge. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is in charge. This is church. It's his. There's not a whole lot of theological reasons why given in this passage. It's just bam, there it is, right? Who's in charge of the church? You may ask that from time to time. Especially, you know, if I stay here a long period of time. Who is in charge? Boy, ship without a rudder. You may have looked at the elders and said, boy, what are they doing? What are they doing? Jesus is the head of the church. I was grateful. Uh, I spoke with someone four weeks ago. And we were getting to know one another, standing on the front steps of the church. And they said, this will never be your church. It will always be Jesus' church. Good reminder, right? Whose church is it? It's Christ's church. It's his. He's the head. It's not the pastor. It's not the elders. And it's not you. It doesn't matter if you've been here since the early days of the church. It doesn't matter if you've gone to seminary. It doesn't matter how many uh, Bible study books you have at home. doesn't matter if you've been successful at your work or your job, been a manager of people. doesn't matter if you've gone to Bible college. doesn't matter if you've gone to the master's college. And it definitely doesn't matter if you went to Biola. <laughs> That's for you, Ken. Oh, Dave's here too. Good to see you. Biola's a great school. doesn't matter if you have a Master's of Divinity, a Doctorate of Ministry, an MA or a BS or a BA or a PhD or an MRS. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. There's never been a time where he has not been head of the church or will be not head of the church. And for us, that just means that we should remember that over and over again. Think about it. Dwell on it. Think about it at home when we're considering the church. Think about it when we come to church. Think about it when we're in meetings. Think about it when we're serving. That Jesus is the head of the church. I have one more point. That should have been the last point, but I wanted to put one more point because we're done this morning. We'll pick up where we left off. But I want to point out one other thing in this passage. If you look through this passage that I've gone through thus far, and it will continue the same way, 
There's a lot of all in there. There's a lot of all. All creation and and speaking of his church as being all that, that he is and all the things that were created by him. I, I want you to think about his rule in your life. His rule in your life. I think it's easy to talk about this church and to say, this church is his. This is G- Jesus' head of the church. But when, when I leave here, it's my life. It's my life. And, and that's not what this passage is saying. Read over it again. Read over it again. It talks about Jesus being over all. He is the creator of all. He's over all of the church. He's, he's over all of creation, that all of this was for him. You know, uh, can, I, can I make a, a, a gentle suggestion? A gentle suggestion. I'll be as gentle as I can. Uh, don't don't talk about your don't talk about your don't slip that in sometimes we focus on us and we say well it's your church you know it's my church mine then you think about life outside of here and you say it's my job my job think about it, it's my money my money you say, what about my future? What about my health? What about my politics? How are you doing, right? What about my personality? My personality. This is just who I am. This is, you just got to get used to it. My marriage. My bratty kids. My grandkids. You see, it's not just that it's not yours inside of here. It's not yours outside of here. That Christ is the creator of all and that all of our lives, whether inside the church or outside the church, are his, are his. You see, Jesus is much bigger than we give him credit for. And he has a greater focus than we ever acknowledge. So this morning, as we have met, I, I want to get Jesus to be the focus of our lives. It's not that he isn't. He is, but we just need to acknowledge that, don't we? In church and outside of church. Let me pray, and then we'll celebrate what Christ has done. God, thank you for this amazing passage. Lord, help it to uh, marinate in our soul and and mark us and change us, that we would truly be Christ-centered people. God, forgive us for our attitudes. Forgive us of our sin of making ourselves the idols of our lives. God, do your work in your church that we might be ones that exalt your son Jesus and be what we were created for, to be for him. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name.